This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hello, everyone. Today is the first episode of this new series I wanted to put together, and I guess the inspiration for it was just the influx of questions coming in as to why I was leaving social media and, you know, all the different avenues that brought me to that decision. And it's so incredibly complex, and I learned so much about myself and the industry and life as a whole. And I really wanted to tell the story. I hope that the story is one of inspiration for us all to keep in check with our social media use and how we take in everyday information. And this is really going to be me speaking to you just as I used to on Instagram stories, very authentic, saying whatever's on my mind. And it's really just going to be a conversation where I just ramble on. So the first episode today, we'll start about the reasons why I wanted to create a blog, how old school blogging was different than what you would consider blogging today, how it's evolved, what and who inspired me, and leading up to some of what I think were the biggest changes in that industry at the time and where we kind of all went wrong, or not necessarily we, but the big tech industries. So Without further ado, uh, we are going to start this episode with just a few messages from our sponsors. And this is actually the first episode that I've ever had sponsors in. And I'm really excited about it because I've had the podcast for almost a year. And these are amazing brands that I used to work with when I was an Instagram influencer. And they are brands that chose to follow me over to this new venture. So I adore them. And as always, we'll only support brands that I truly believe in. So here we go. Our first sponsor today is Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, this shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order, and I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. Today's show is also sponsored by Sarah Belly. 
Cerebelli was founded by neurosurgeon Teresa Persner. You can hear all about the story that inspired the brand within the episode we recorded together about six months ago. After becoming a neurosurgeon, Teresa went back to school to earn her PhD in developmental neurobiology at Stanford. After having her three children, she was having a hard time finding baby food that focused on the proper nutrients needed for the developing brain. And thus, Cerebelli was born. Did you know that 80% of a baby's brain is fully developed by the age of three? Cerebelli is the only brand of organic purees that provide 16 key brain-supporting nutrients. Let your baby explore veggie-first, clean-label project certified flavors with no added sugar and spoonfuls of nutrients with Cerebelli. Parenting is an art. Cerebelli is science. And you know how much I love science. My kids also enjoy their smart bars, which are great for a quick, nutrient-packed snack for on-the-go. Today's listeners can get up to 35% off your first order of Cerebelli with code LINDSAY20, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y 20, plus an additional 15% off when you subscribe and save. All right, so this is going to be literal word vomit. (laughs) There is no specific written out wording that I have for this episode. It's just going to be me talking about my experience. I do want to start out this series by saying, this is my personal experience. I am not talking about the reflection of any other influencers within this podcast. This is strictly my experience. So I'm going to start just by talking about why I even created a blog to begin with and everything leading up to where I think everything changed. And the reason why I decided to start blogging in the first place was because I needed a creative outlet. I was working as a PA in the emergency room. I had been working there for a few months and it truly was like anything else I had ever experienced in my life. It was high stress, exposure to things you'd never think you'd see or witness or be a part of, and just being aware of you know how so many people are in need, and it's just really an eye-opening experience. And so it was a lot for me that first year to take it all in. And it was really great to be able to have this creative outlet to go to when I was feeling really stressed. And my inspiration for starting the blog was Emily Schumann from Cupcakes and Cashmere. And she, you know, I remember I would wake up on my day off, I would have a cup of coffee or water or what have you. I would sit down and I would read her blog post for that day. And it was just like reading a newspaper that you curated specifically for your interests. You know, it was a blog about fashion, about recipes, about just living. And it was fun. You know, it was a great way to start the day. I probably never spent more than five or 10 minutes, you know, doing that. And, you know, through Emily's blog, I did find other blogs that interest me. And I would follow up on those on a daily basis. But at that point in time, in 2008, it really was just a memorization of their website. And I would visit it that way. You know, there was no Instagram to tell us when there was a new post. 
there probably was a way to get their blog post delivered by email, but I, you know, with the RSS feed, but I, I didn't do that. I, I literally just went into my browser and, and typed the blog name and I would visit a few a day and it was just a, a way to decompress and almost like reading a magazine or a newspaper. So I thought to myself, like, why can't I do that? Like that can be my creative outlet. And that's what sparked my first blog, which was called From Skirts to Skillets. And it literally was just fashion, food, kind of like whatever was on my mind, but it was mostly fashion focused. I had always loved fashion growing up and I was just really into it. So I created the blog and it was mostly about, you know, creating outfits and things like that. So I did that. I had that blog for quite a while. And I think it was probably a few years. And and mind you, I was creating everything on there for free. I was never paid anything. And in those early years of blogging, I never received any free items or anything like that. This was just me doing a hobby on the side. And there was no money involved and there were no products that were sent to my home or anything like that. I don't know exactly what year that changed, but it was a few years. And, you know, the day that something did show up on my doorstep that was like, hey, we'd love for you to review this product or we'd love for you to style this dress and they would send me the item for free, they wouldn't be paying me to create any content, but they were sending me the item, which... I mean, I was ecstatic. I was like, this is the coolest thing. I can't wait to work with this brand. And, you know, I started making these goals of working with, you know, bigger brands that I really love, like free people or, you know, and I would like write these lists of goals like throughout those next couple of years. But again, it was all just product based. It was not monetizable at the time for me anyway. I'm sure there were probably a few bloggers making money, maybe through ads and things like that. I did have static ads on my blog that I would put into the columns. Oh, this is another thing. Oh my gosh. Flashback. I would work with smaller brands and they would create like buttons for my blog and they would purchase ad space for the month. So it would be like, you know, $25 for the month for them to put their button and they would create it. And I would put the button on my blog and link it to their you know, their store or their shop. And I would make money that way. And I was just, you know, I was like, oh, I can turn my hobby into something that makes a little bit of some extra cash. That's really cool. So back in the day, that's kind of how it worked. And the only way to get anybody, like any new people over to your blog, a lot of the time was going to other people's blogs and, you know, leaving a little message for them. So again, as I said before, I was following, you know, quite a few people in the beginning and would visit their blogs on a daily basis and whatever that post was for the day, I would comment on it, you know? So if it was about a new recipe they were trying, I'd comment on it, whatever it was. And then you'd leave your blog link, you know, at the end of your comment. And then that is how you would get new followers over to your blog was, you know, other people were going over to this page and they would see, oh, this person has a blog too. Let me check it out. And so back in the day, it was it was so hard to get eyes on your blog. For years, I probably had a handful of people going to my blog. It was really for me more than anything else because it was an outlet for me. And again, not much money coming from it at all. It was just a hobby. And, you know, I think it was, I think Twitter, Twitter was first, right? I, I believe. 
And that was this new way that was much faster and much more productive when it came to advertising for my blog. And you would work alongside other bloggers and say, hey, if I you know, share your blog, do you mind sharing mine in your Twitter feed? And then we would be getting traffic that way. And that was like a game changer at the time because the work prior to that was very gruesome, you know, trying to get people over to your blog because you'd have to go to all these websites and you'd have to leave all these comments. And it was just, it was a lot of work. And, you know, before kids and all of that, I was really into this. It was something I really liked doing. It was fun. And quite frankly, I found, you know, creating my blog posts to be one of the most fun things I was doing in my life at the time, because it was so opposite of what my my real job was. And I really, really enjoyed being able to be creative in that way. And a lot of time and a lot of effort goes into these blog posts. Creating a blog post, you know, this is actually how I got myself into photography. I completely blanked on the fact that I became like during this whole time, like this probably five to six year period from 2008 to about 2016 or so, I became a photographer because having a blog, I, you have to learn how to you know code. And then you also, most bloggers were learning how to use these DSLR cameras to be able to create pictures that were you know, more appealing to the eye. And so I actually taught myself through different tutorials, books, you know, things I found online, how to use a DSLR camera and shoot in manual mode. And I spent a lot of my time before kids, photography became a new hobby for me along with blogging. And at one point I actually decided to become a photographer like on the side and was doing that uh, for a few years as well. So yeah, back back in the old blogging days, you know, you would shoot your content, whatever that was, whether it was a recipe or home decor or style focused, and you would edit those photos, which in and of itself is another art, and then you would write. And so you've got this photography skill, you've got this editing skill, you have the writing skill, and it's all put together into this blog post, which you've also taught yourself HTML. Like it's just really, it's really cool. And I really liked learning. And I think so much work and effort went into those old school blog posts. And you'll hear through this episode how that really, or how it really changed throughout the coming years. And I think it was in 2010 that Instagram came into the game. And I remember thinking, "Mm -mm, I like my old school blog. I want people to come there. I don't want to be putting stuff on a feed and Instagram, like, and just, it's just repetitive content. Like I don't want to use that. And all the influencers, all the bloggers at the time, because you were a blogger, the term influencer was never, that was never a term back in, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, like it was blogger. And Everybody was moving over to Instagram. And I was like, I don't know. I still had an Android phone. Instagram wasn't available for it. And eventually, a year or two later, I caved and was like, well, I feel like if I want to keep doing this, I'm going to need to to jump into this Instagram world. So I downloaded Instagram, created my name, and you know, in the early days, I used it very infrequently. The photography back then wasn't great. Like, you know, the uh, the phones were not 
superb at taking photos back then. And the filters were not great either. So I wasn't really into it. And it didn't really strike my interest until probably like a year after I even started using it. And by that time, there were a lot of people on there. It was becoming more popular. And I was like, okay, I guess I have to, you know, dive into this like head first because otherwise I'm not going to be able to keep up, you know? So then you fast forward to August, 2016. And I had to look this up because I wasn't sure exactly when, but I distinctly remember the week that Instagram stories went live. I have thought of different ways of putting this to make it sound less dramatic, (laughs) but I've been pretty unsuccessful. I think it was one of the most detrimental changes that they could have made for our mental health at the time and continuing now. I mean, I think I remember being so hesitant when they launched. I said to myself, there is no way I'm going to sit here at home and talk into my phone. Like that is so strange. It goes against everything that I would want to be doing. I don't want to be, you know, videoing myself in real time. I want nothing to do with this. And I felt really uncomfortable doing it or even the thought of it. And I don't know if I ended up I don't know if that first week I even got on stories, I think I might've just like sat on it. And the first time I, the first probably few weeks, few months I was using stories, I was like, this is so bizarre. I like, why are we doing this? (laughs) But again, it's like one of those things that you get caught up into because everybody else is trying to monetize their blog and you really couldn't do it unless you were keeping up with all the new technology coming out and stories was it. And, you know, there's so many different things that I think are wrong when it comes to Instagram stories. And I'll dive into all of them if I can remember all the different points I wanted to hit. But first and foremost, it was, and I'll talk about both sides. I feel like there was detrimental effects both to the, quote, influencers and then to the people who are consuming the content. For me... In particular, I'll talk about that first. From my perspective, as somebody who was trying to monetize their blog, and in 2016, I was making, you know, enough money, like a little side job. It was, it wasn't a lot at all, but it was great to have for extra money. And I still loved doing it. It was still something that brought me joy. That was still a creative outlet for me. Like I said, I had loved learning about photography, learning about coding, and just all of it together. I just enjoyed it. And so it it didn't really matter to me if I was making a lot of money from it or anything like that. So, you know, I, I did get caught up in the trying to keep up with the new technology. So of course I I jumped onto Instagram stories at whatever point that was. Felt super awkward, but the more you use it, the more you get used to doing it. And so what I had found as an influencer was that it was way easier to make a significant amount of money 
through Instagram stories. And that is because you were able to directly link to whatever you were talking about and people were able to purchase those things in a matter of seconds. You know, back in 2008, for example, when I would post a blog post, you would wait a week, you know, a day, a week or whatever, however long it was sometimes for someone to go to your blog, visit your blog post, click your link, and then make a commission from that link. It would, you know, take forever. And in most cases, it was a very small portion of people even seeing your blog. This gave you the opportunity to to be in a wider audience, a, a lot more people looking at your content, and then having that ability to post something and then having it catch someone's eye and purchasing it right away. And so I don't even know, I don't know if links were directly available when stories were. They might not have been, but you could still say, hey, I have a new blog post up on my blog. And then those people would immediately go over to your blog. The link in your bio, that's what it was. You would put your links into your bio. So you could put, you could say, hey, you know, I have, you know, this new pair of denim that I'm really liking and I link them in my bio. And so you know, it was just a a much easier way of making money much faster. And when you look at it from the, the people that were viewing the content, I feel like they were at such a disadvantage because the brain sees something, they say, oh my gosh, I want that. And then the ability to immediately purchase it doesn't give you any of that lag time to figure out like, do I even need this? Do I have the money for this? And you know, before you know it, there's a package at your door and you're like, I should have never bought this for, you know, one reason or another. So yeah. Okay. So that's that. And then the other part of all of this is of course, which I'm sure you have all heard before is how incredibly frustrating it was from an influencer's perspective to have to be on there all the time. And you truly do have to be on there all the time. I know very well from experience that if I were to take a day off, I would plummet with my engagement, whether that was on my feed or in my stories, everything would plummet. And they just don't reward you for being off no matter how long it was. And honestly, the longer it was, the more you paid for it. And so in those early years of Instagram and Instagram stories, 2016 and on, I was posting every single day. I mean, I look back and I think to myself, what a freaking nightmare. Like that's that's my that's my like thoughts thinking back and looking back as to where I was during that time. I was putting first of all still working per I was per diem at that time cuz I had had my second second baby and so I was still working two shifts a week probably maybe three sometimes and still doing I mean we're talking more than a full-time job as far as hours I was putting in and I know people will say that but it's truly how much time goes in to creating all of these things. I mean, it was a more than full-time job. So much time and effort goes into all of this between talking with brands, you know, the back and forth with emails, invoicing, trying to figure out, you know, who owes you what, this and that. Taxes is absolutely such an aggravation. There's just a lot of of time and effort that goes into everything that an influencer does or a blogger does. It's I think a lot of people underestimate, you know, how much time does go into it. So 
where was I? So yeah, so I, I spent way too much time on there. I, I And I never noticed it until now when I look back. I do absolutely regret spending that much time on there. And I felt like I was stuck because the second I would take time off, I would pay for it. And it felt like incredibly frustrating because you're creating content, you're putting so much time and effort into something. And then the people that follow you or want to see it aren't seeing it. And that just feels incredibly frustrating. So anyways, I was caught up in all of that. And from the perspective of the person viewing the content, I have gotten so many people, you know, their feedback is always, you know, I, I'm, I fear that I'm going to miss out on something, you know, stories, they expire after 24 hours. And there is a reason why Instagram created them this way. And it's because they want you to be coming into that app every 24 hours to make sure that you don't miss out on anything. And there is a reason why they completely expire and you aren't able to save them anywhere. I mean, you can save them to your saved Instagram stories, but that didn't come until pretty much way later. And even still, that's a pain in the butt, you know, and you know, who's going to go down there? So people felt such a pull to come onto that app every 24 hours to make sure they were viewing all of the content they wanted to see. They didn't want to miss out on one single thing. And I was one of those people and creating the content. I'm like, I have to create content every single 24 hours so that I can keep people engaged and keep them in my feed so that I don't lose my engagement. It is such a, like, it makes me so angry even talking about it because it's so messed up, right? And so incredibly addicting. And the way that they have it set up, there's a term for this, and I can't remember for the life of me what it is. And it is in, I believe it's in Jaron Lanier's book, How to Quit Social Media or Why You Should Quit Social Media. And he talks about how there is a reason why your posts will do really, really well on one day. And you could post very similar, more engaging content the next day, and it will plummet. Your engagement will plummet. And this is exactly why gambling is so addictive. You don't win every single time you gamble. Every time you pull down that, you know, that lever that makes the the game go round and round and you are anxiously awaiting whether you win or not, you're not, you're losing way more than you win. And it draws you back and it draws you back day after day after day, you know, and that's exactly what, you know, these platforms do is they're purposely making you succeed and then having you fail. And it is very addicting because you, you start to think even with other influencers, you start to brainstorm how can I make my content, you know, how can I increase my engagement with my content? You know, can I post at certain times? Is it that I need to post in certain time windows? Is it that I need to post three times a day? There was there was a time when I was posting to my Instagram feed three times a day, which seems totally asinine to me now. <laughs> like it seems freaking nuts. Like what a nut I was. Because I thought that posting three times a day would increase my engagement. I post once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once at night. And, you know, you just start trying to think of all these different ways to increase your engagement. And it truly is, I look back and it's just so sickening to me, the lengths that which I was just trying to keep up, you know? And 
the other part of all of this is just the pure amount of information that you are taking in or from an influencer's perspective, putting out there is so incredibly fast paced. Our brains are just not meant to take in that much information. I mean, there were times, especially in the past two years, when I was having a lot of discussions about COVID and the vaccine and and what have you with other people, where I actually felt like my brain was turning to mush. Like I couldn't think straight. I would wake up in a fog. I was so incredibly stressed out. I had so many screenshots on my phone of different recipes to try, outfit ideas, this new gadget that's supposed to be really great in the kitchen, you know, whatever it was. I had so many screenshots. And do you think I ever went back to actually look at that product or or thing ever again? I didn't. But it was clogging up my brain. I was like, oh, I have to, you know, get this. I have to make this. I have to try this. And I never actually went back to any of those things to follow up on it. And it's because your brain is literally taking in so much information. It is totally capped out and it can't even remember that, you know, you saw something you wanted to, you know, follow up on the next day or what have you. It's just so detrimental for our mental health. And I'm sure all of you have heard, you know, have have been seeing some of these studies coming out on, you know, the effects of social media, certain social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram and Facebook all having these effects on our youth and these effects they're they're producing these these research studies on our youth, but I know that adults are just as susceptible to all of these mental health effects, you know, including depression, anxiety, stress. And I can one say for certain that being, I'm going to do a whole separate episode at the very end of this on how things have changed in my life. And I mean, I cannot wait to talk to you about that. You know, I'm filming this today. It's January 25th. It will go live on February 2nd. At this particular time, I have been without any social media for about five weeks. But by the time I, you know, record that episode, it will be well over two, two and a half months. So I think I'll even have more insight then um, than I do now. But it is just so horrific. Well, it was really horrific for my mental health. I'm going to be careful here and just always talk about personally for me what I experienced. But we have seen it time and time again with you know these studies coming out and with these whistleblowers talking about how incredibly detrimental it can be for our, our mental health. And I didn't even address yet how you go on there and everything makes you feel less than. I do think I had, I'm going to go on a little... Uh, a little tangent here because it, it reminded me of this. I had quite a few people had mentioned to me why they can't leave social media. And it was because, you know, during the pandemic, they felt really alone. They were a first time mom. They were finding it very helpful to be on there and having all of this information at their fingertips on how to care for their baby. And I want to just say that you know how to care for your baby without anybody else's input. You literally need no one else's input. 
you know, women have been bearing children and caring for them since the beginning of time. And we were able to do it. Yes. I mean, modern medicine has made that a little bit easier as far as, you know, things that can happen during pregnancy and during delivery and postpartum and all of that. But as far as just knowing what to do with your baby, you are the most important piece of that puzzle. You know how to care for your baby. You know if there's something wrong with your baby. You know what they need just by what they're telling you and what their cues are. And anything else you end up finding in a book or in a movie or online on social media is just a little something extra that you can maybe add in. But what works for someone else may not actually work for you. And it could be harmful. I mean, it could be beneficial. It could be harmful. It could be making you really stressed out if it doesn't work for you. And so, you know, I, now that I look back, I am just a huge believer in that the less is better just in every sense of the form, whether it's stuff, just like literal things, less is always more. You know, when it comes to information, less is more. You know, you don't need to have this abundance of information about motherhood coming from all these different mothers that are experiencing a totally different type of motherhood than you are. And so while sometimes it may be helpful and sometimes you may feel less alone, I think more times than not, it might make you feel like you're not doing enough or that you need to buy more and it might put you in a financial situation that you're not comfortable in or, you know, I need to be doing this in order to to keep up or what have you. And that even happened with me as somebody who did more creating on the app than I did taking in information. It still affected me. And, you know, it's it's such a shame. It makes me feel so sad just thinking that people even f- for a second feel like they are not good enough for their baby or their child because of something they're seeing on the freaking internet. That pisses me off because you are everything that your child needs and nothing on the freaking internet is going to make you a better mom. So that's my little, that's my tangent on that. So, okay, where am I going? The filter that everyone lives through online. So I definitely think that you can be mostly authentic on that app should you want to be. But I believe no matter who you are, there's always going to be some bit of a filter, right? We're not sharing every single thing in our life. A, that would just be a total breach of privacy, but also, you know, there's some things that I'm sure people just don't want to share. And by only sharing things from your life that are the prettiest or, you know, the most engaging, it just makes other people feel like shit. And, you know, I don't think that in most cases it's intentional. It's just what people are sharing on there. Just like when we had blogs back in the day, I wasn't going on my blog and putting a picture of, you know, something gross on there or something terrible that had happened or whatever. I might briefly talk about it, you know, if it's a blog post about my week or whatever. But for the most part, things that we are seeing on Instagram, especially on Instagram feeds where you're just seeing pretty pictures all the time, they are so highly curated. And even the ones that are, you know, meant to be 
pictures that are are more vulnerable, they're still curated in some way. You know, there's still a little bit of a filter on everything. And I found myself going on there so many times, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, like if only I had that or could do this. And I think almost everyone, right, has thought the same when they sign on there. And although it's not as prevalent in stories because it's not just pictures, you know, you can see a human being behind the screen, which is really helpful, you know, seeing their tone and how they feel. And there were some accounts that were so vulnerable and really did help me in some way if I was going through something specific. But for the most part, I I can't imagine myself being a teenager who can't control my feelings and thoughts and all of those things anyway, and then having to look at something like Instagram. I don't know that I would have made it. You know, I I can't even imagine. And then just even knowing what you might be missing out on, you know, when it comes to like a party or something, you know, that was going on without you and then having it broadcasted onto a social media platform. It's just, I mean, it's no wonder, you know, why we have our youth, you know, having these, you know, suicide rates skyrocket or depression rates skyrocket and things like that. I have tried to keep up with the research coming out about that and, you know, there are definitely research studies that do support that they are are definitely linked. But as far as, you know, the increase, you've probably all heard, you know, that the suicide rates were increased. But of course, we're also in a pandemic and there's also a lot of other things going on. But of course, during the pandemic, I'm sure everybody's social media use, everyone, every single person's social media use skyrocketed for so many different reasons because they're working from home and now they can just be on their phone or, you know, kids doing school from home and they're not in the classroom and, you know, trying to get more and more information on what the hell was going on in the world, constantly refreshing to see what was going on, especially in the early days, because we literally knew nothing. So I think all of that definitely plays a role. But, you know, the the filtered life aspect is is really difficult. And I I don't think there's a quite a solution as far as you know, making that be something that won't affect another person. I mean, I think no matter who you are, just kind of scrolling, you're going to wish for something that you're seeing. Like, oh, I wish that would be in my kitchen. I wish I could have that outfit. I wish I could have so-and-so. There was an awesome, awesome quote by Stephen. Oh my gosh, did I write it down? It is so good. Hold on one second. Let me get it. Okay. I have this whole notebook of all of my thoughts and about this whole pro I mean, journaling to the 10th degree. And I guess in some aspects, this podcast series is just like this verbal journal of my experience through all of this. But Stephen Bartlett had this quote, and I swear I I freaking love this quote so much. And sitting with it is so important. So it says. Social media is designed to make you think, maybe I should be somewhere else, doing something else with someone else. But if you always think your happiness is somewhere else, it will never be where you are. And doesn't that just hit you right in the gut? When I read that, I was just like, holy shit, you know, like 
we go on there every day, you know, and why? You know, what are we looking for? Life is right in front of us. We could be going for a long walk instead. We could be reading a new book instead. We could be meeting with a friend, family, just meeting someone new, just trying out something new, a new hobby, a new anything. But we're online looking for what? I don't even know (laughs) what it is. And when you're on there, you just think to yourself, maybe I should be somewhere else. Maybe I should be doing something else. Maybe I should be doing that specific thing with someone else. You know, it's just, it couldn't be more true because it leaves you thinking that you need something else in your life. And I'm speaking very broadly. Is there some specific person that social media just doesn't ever affect them in a negative way? I don't know. I I don't know if that person exists, but... In my personal opinion, again, I don't want to generalize. In my personal opinion, I strongly believe that the negative effects of social media outweigh the positive effects of social media. Because when I look at it and I think about positive effects of social media, the only thing that I can say is positive is maybe specifically information that I found maybe like through the pandemic, through some of the accounts that I really enjoyed following, specific scientific information with regards to what was happening in the world. But I could have found that information simply in their newsletter, which is what I did when I left social media. And I will create an entire podcast episode on how I planned to leave, what my strategy was, and you know, how I ended up, what I felt like was the most rewarding part of social media, how I translated that offline. And I'm still getting that same effect offline. I truly believe that there, you get the same sort of whatever you're looking for on a social media space, you can find it off that space in some, in some way. That is literally the only positive thing that I can think of. I mean, I'm sure there's like one or two times where something made me feel a little bit less alone, but I think that I could have gotten that from going to, you know, say a postpartum, you know, meeting with postpartum moms in my community or something and gotten even more support and more encouragement um, than I, than I did online. Anyways, that's, that's just my personal take on it. I, I don't think that we need it to make us feel whole or less alone. And I don't think at all that we are missing out if we don't have it. Yeah. So, okay. That's all of that. I also wanted to touch on a few different things. So when Instagram stories had launched, this is also the time when I had briefly mentioned that the way that you make money was totally, it totally changed the game from the influencer's perspective, trying to make money. And that, of course, got better and better when they introduced direct links into your stories when you could directly link to something instead of saying, hey, it's in my bio, because the audience didn't have a second to determine whether or not that item was going to be beneficial for them. They would just buy it. I mean, this is not everybody, but you know, some people would just buy it. And so it was a faster way of making money. I mean, exponential compared to, you know, what people were making, you know, years prior when they had a blog per se. So I've kind of had the experience of having the old school blog kind of 
coming into a space where I was able to make money strictly only from my blog when I was working with brands and then having the experience, you know, translated into Instagram and then Instagram stories. And with Instagram stories, it just skyrocketed the potential to make money because of how it's set up. You know, of course, in the beginning, I'm, you know, it was like, this is so awesome. Like, this is so great. Such a great way to be able to make easy money and all of that. Something else changed during that time. And there was such a switch to how people created content. I have found that a lot of the content I see on there is not really that worthwhile. It was more just, hey, this is on sale. Hey, this is on sale. Hey, there's going to be this. Oh, I wanted to do an ad for this. And there wasn't a lot of really creative content on there where you were getting tips and tricks on how to do something or Uh, My friend Carla Reed does a really beautiful job on there where she'll have ads here and there sparingly. And then in between that, she has this really high quality content on how to actually get dressed. (laughs) And she puts together outfits that are just so beautiful and she layers and she gives these tips on like how to fold your sleeve and all these different things. And I just... I really, truly enjoy her content and she does such a beautiful job of curating it. And that is something that I feel like has been lost since Instagram stories were introduced to the industry because everybody's focused on such a fast paced environment and they're not creating that content that's really evergreen, that lives on your blog, that uh, people will go back to time and time again. It's, it's more fast paced and it's more just affiliate link based and ad based. And so I think that really, really changed things. Like I missed the creative aspect of it. I mean, I myself am at fault for not creating that deep inner um, creative content that I was creating prior to that because I was able to, you know, just make more money doing less essentially. So why wouldn't I do that? And so I am definitely at fault for doing the same. And, you know, I think back and I just, I wish that I didn't kind of go down that route. I wish I stuck with like, hey, I really want to keep creating content more on my blog, more in a newsletter, more on things that I actually own because Instagram could be shut down tomorrow. Instagram could change something that deeply affects influencers on the influencer level and it could be traumatizing to your income. And it's so important to build outside of the social media platforms because I own my blog. I own my newsletter. And those are things that can't be taken from you from, you know, big tech, you know, shutting down one thing or the other. And so it's really, really important to keep those things going. And I I lost sight of that for a few years there, I think. Okay. So the other point I wanted to touch base on was the insane overconsumption of materialistic items (laughs) that as a blogger, as an influencer, you received, you know, as I had mentioned, like in the beginning days of blogging, um, you know, brands would say, Hey, I want to send you, you know, you can pick an item from our site on something you want to wear and then you can style it. And it was really fun. And it was, you know, one or two pieces a month. It wasn't anything crazy. And then you fast forward to, I don't know, say 2018 or 2019. And these companies, these brands, I mean, I don't even understand where some of these packages came from. And they would just show up on the door. And at first, 
it is very, very exciting. And I am by no means, I mean, so incredibly, first of all, freaking grateful to have had this experience. I never want to like for anybody listening to think that I was not grateful for these things. I'm just trying to bring light to, you know, how life as an influencer, how it contributes to certain things in society that I I don't agree with anymore that I look back on and I'm just really disappointed in myself. <laughs> really. So like again, this is like a journal of me looking back and looking at things I wish I changed, right? And it's really easy to see them when you're removed. Really hard to see things when you're still using them. Just like drugs or alcohol, when you're using them, it's really difficult to see how detrimental the effects can be. And then you stop and you're like, oh, wow, kind of like that. So, you know, you would just get influencers get a lot of things shipped to them, whether it's to review them, whether it's just a gift, whatever it is, and the amount of packages you get. And then you think about all of these different things, the packaging it comes in. Is it, you know, something that you can recycle? Is it biodegradable? Is the, you know, actual product inside or the item inside something that you even want. I never even thought about that. You know, some of these things would show up on my doorstep and I didn't know they were coming, but then some of them would be for a specific campaign, which of course I did okay. But then, you know, some brands would just be sending things to be nice. And it wasn't always things that I would purchase for myself. And then they're in your home and you're overfull with things that you either need to review or things that you didn't necessarily want and things like that. And I mean, the amount of boxes of things that I would bring and I would bring to work and like have everybody, you know, dive in and and take things from or donate to some of the women's shelters or donate to, you know, whatever it was. It's just, it's, it's, it's crazy to think back on that now at just the significant overconsumption of things that, you know, you have delivered to your doorstep. And then you think about, like even doing a try on, for example, you know, you have these clothes shipped to your home and, you know, the person has to deliver it. There's just a lot that goes into it that you don't think about. And I don't know, I just look back on it now and I don't want one more package ever being delivered to my house. I just feel like it's, it's just all, it's just, it's just too, it's just too much. And I can't even imagine, you know, some of, you know, the accounts I did follow and the amount of things, like, I'm like, I I wonder what everybody's doing with this stuff. (laughs) Because for me, there are definitely things that I, I kept and have loved and still love and they're great, but so much of it, so much of it has been donated or given to family and friends and things like that, which is also, I loved being able to do that. I'm like, okay, well, if I can be that middle person that receives these things and am I, I'm able to bring them to a woman's shelter. I mean, I think that's great to be able to bring these things to other people, but it's also something that contributes to the effects it's having on you in your brain. And just this, you know, think about like being in a room full of papers and stuff and it's just a mess and it's not organized and just constantly being in that type of an environment is, is so stressful for your brain. And I, myself, when I, sit down and I need to work or I need to do something or read. I need the room to be tidy and like everything needs to be where it needs to be. So, and that's just like part of my personality, but 
Yeah, I, I just wanted to touch on that because I I don't think that anybody talks about some of these things and I just want to bring light to them because it's something we really need to be thinking about. And then thinking about how much stuff goes into the landfills, like how much trash are we producing as a single household, you know, and where is all that stuff going in the landfills? Is what we're putting in the landfills, is it going to be there forever? Is it going to contribute to all of these different things that can be detrimental to our environment. I guess that's all I wanted to say on that particular topic. And I just want to reemphasize as well. I, I'm i reflecting, and this is just this open journal of how I feel looking back, but having had the opportunity to even do any of this was really amazing and it provided such an opportunity for our family. And I will never look back on it with anything but the utmost gratitude towards having that opportunity. I truly don't even have words. Like I don't even know how <laughs> how I went from having this blog in 2008 to what I had built in 2021 when I deleted my account. I, I don't even know how I got from A to B. It's such a blur. And I'm trying to talk about it in here, but you know, I am missing so many different parts of all of it. And I wish, I wish that I had created a journal along the way just to kind of read my thoughts on all of it, you know, to see. And it wasn't until I think it was about yeah, it was about 2016, 2017 that I started to make income that, you know, would be equivalent to having this full-time job anywhere else. And that was sustained until, you know, I quit and deleted my account because again, pretty much all the money you're making or an influencer is making is coming from Instagram at this very moment unless they have something else going on like they've created a book or they've created merchandise the money from affiliate links and all of that is from Instagram. That is the easiest and best way to make money as an influencer right now. And who knows if that will change. But obviously, thinking about deleting it can be very anxiety-provoking because you need to really like plan out, especially if this is your only career. And I will talk about that in another episode because I think that's important to talk about. I have had a few friends reach out um, asking how I went about it because they really want to be able to get off social media as well. So I hope, I hope that I can inspire other people to do the same. I know that it seems really scary and, you know, that drop, significant drop in any income at all is obviously very scary, but I hope that I can shed light on it and it might be inspirational in some way along the way. What else? Anything else I want to talk about in this episode? What I will bring up I just wanted this to be kind of like a brief introduction of, you know, the years 2008 to 2020. And that's 12 years. And again, I think I, you know, left a lot of things out. And this is literal word vomit. I did not write any of this down. It's just coming straight from my heart and my brain. So, you know, please don't fault me for something I'm saying on here. I just am speaking literally like a like my personal journal onto here. Okay, so the next episode will be about what I think was the absolute there was there were two turning points, I think. One huge turning point and then one minor turning point in the 
I guess, a career of influencing. And I'm going to talk about those very candidly and go into depth about all of it in the next episode. And that occurs in 2020. So that's kind of where I will stop. And I would love to hear any feedback you have or any of your thoughts that you have. I love hearing from people in my community that will email me and tell me their thoughts of how they view social media when they're on there. And that has been really eye-opening. And I've loved some of the emails that you have been sending (laughs) that talks about how in in August when I had taken the month off I came back and I I was you know talking about social media in a way that was very negative and you know I can't wait to get off of here sort of thing and so I did have a few not a lot just a few of people saying um you know how hypocritical it was because I was making money on this platform as an influencer and here you are you've done this you know online gig for so long and now you're just like bad mouthing it And I can totally understand someone's perspective on that. Like everyone has the right to their opinion. And I think that's great. Like if you think that I was being hypocritical, that you can own that. That is like perfectly fine. You know, I think that you can change your mind about any damn thing anytime you want. You know, if you thought that social media was awesome and great and made you money and all these things, and then the next day you woke up and you said, you know what? I don't like it anymore for X, Y, and Z reasons. You have the right to think that way. Like you don't have to love everything that you loved yesterday. You can change your mind about it at any time. That's the beauty of life. You can say that this one thing worked for you at that particular time in your life, but it doesn't work for me now. And here's why. And I think you can own that and go with it. And I've always been someone who has spoke their mind. I don't believe in holding anything back. If somebody asks me for my real opinion on something, they're going to get my real opinion on something. And people don't always like that answer that I give. So I don't fault anybody or I don't, you know, if someone tells me, Lindsay, I thought you were being hypocritical, you have every right to think that, or you have every right to, you know, for whatever you think or believe, just like I do. And I was getting these emails that would start off, you know, saying, you know, all these things about how they felt towards me during that time, like during that time in September when I came back and had given my real thoughts on social media. And, you know, they're just like, I unfollowed you, couldn't stand you, like that sort of thing. And and then the next paragraph dives into how either they decided to refollow me a couple months later, or they decided to just view my feed without following me or saw my blog post about leaving social media or whatever it was. And then they ended up taking time off. And then they said to themselves, you know, I was in significant denial And I lashed out saying these things about you or to you because I didn't think I could fall into the category of people that you were talking about. I didn't think I was the one that was over-consuming. I didn't think I was the one that was being affected by social media. I know how to use social media in a way that is healthy for me. And first of all, getting those, talking about social media and trying to get people to understand their usage is probably hands down, I feel the most important thing I've done on social media. I just, I think it's because of how 
I feel being off of it. And I just want everybody to feel that way. (laughs) I just want them to see it. And, you know, that along with trying to, to talk about scientific information and things in the last two years were really the two things that I was on there for in, in those last two years. And if nothing else, those emails meant and mean so much to me because my time spent posting resources, posting a podcast episode, talking about a book, talking about my own viewpoints with social media has affected someone somewhere, some way. And that to me is awesome. Like I freaking, I just love it. I think that's awesome. So even if you th- you're listening to this podcast and you think, you know, you're one of those people that has social media under control, you're using it in a healthy way. I I absolutely will not argue with with you in any way about that, but I do encourage you just to try to take a 30-day break just to see how you feel and what it's like where you just delete all the apps off your phone completely. And I do have a blog post that I'll link to in the show notes that talks about doing a 30-day detox and why it should be 30 days. Uh, Actually, Cal Newport does a really beautiful job of explaining this in his book, Digital Minimalism, which I've talked about at nauseum. But he really does a beautiful job. And he talks about why 30 days uh, is definitely the least amount that you would want to take off because... Personally, I just don't think that a week or two is is going to do it. And I will go into that as well in my next episode because I will talk about that first time that I took a month off and what it was like for me. So anyway, <laughs> I was going to end this episode like 10 minutes ago and I don't know what happened. So yeah, with that being said, I hope you all have an amazing week and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun.